My name is John Chambers. I'm the pastor here. Um, a lot of people call me FUD. You can call me that. That'll be fine. Uh, we're going to be in Second Peter, starting in chapter 1. Um, let me pray, and then we'll jump in. We've been going through a series, as the video said, called Doctrine. And so we've been studying through different doctrines of the faith. Um, last week, we looked at the doctrine of regeneration, which is that moment where God awakens our hearts and affections to understand the goodness of the gospel, to understand what Christ has done for us on the cross. Um, and at that moment, we put our faith in him and we're saved. Today, we're going to be studying the doctrine of sanctification. Um, this is after you give your life to Christ until God calls you home. Um, you are going through this long process of becoming more and more like him, more and more holy. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. It's, it's quite a task. So I need to pray and then we will uh, be in Second Peter. Uh, I do have a, a decent little introduction, which shouldn't surprise you. And then we will, I promise, get to Second Peter. So um, chapter one, let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity you've given me to preach your word. What a gift it is to be able to stand here and to the best of my ability, faithfully exposit this word. It's not a task that um, is small. It's something I take very seriously, Lord, and I pray that you would send your spirit now. I pray that um, you would start in my heart. God, the places that don't want to be sanctified, the places that I'm selfishly not wanting to pursue holiness, that you would kill those things in my life and that I would pursue you with everything. I pray the same for all of my friends here. I pray that as we look at your word and may it come to pass, Lord, may it be that we come face to face with Jesus, that none of us would settle for sin in our life. None of us would make excuses about how that's okay right now. in your spirit, God. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I already know what you're going to say. Um, is this the same FUD that we hear every week? He preaches this gospel centrality all the time. He's always talking about how all of our sins are always forgiven. All of our past, present, and future sins completely gone. Who is this FUD talking today? Why is it that he is almost legalistically telling me I have to kill sin in my life. So I already know what you're going to say. Um, most problems that happen in theology, most problems that have happened in Christian theology over the last 2,000 years are because of not properly taking a correct balance when it comes to doctrine. People will swing the pendulum too far one way, and then in response, they'll swing the pendulum too far the other way. My goal today is to absolutely bring us into the middle of both of those. I can swing the pendulum, and I have been very, very long swinging the pendulum, especially in this Bible Belt South, too far maybe, to this side, preaching the gospel, which is Christ has done all for you. You cannot earn your salvation. There is nothing that you can do. There is not one good work that you can accomplish that will bring about your salvation. 
And hopefully, over the five years, I've also preached the necessity for you to pursue holiness. And so today, you're going to feel like, more than likely, I've swung it all the way over here, and I'm going to (laughs) preach to you. It's so necessary for you to do everything you can to achieve holiness in your life. And so I'm going to hopefully try to bring that all the way here by, yes, emphasizing the gospel, the good news that Jesus has done everything. But in the end, you're going to leave here. May the Lord bring it about. May it happen in all of us. That you're going to do everything you can. Take huge steps. And you're going to say, is this legalistic? Am I being too legalistic by killing this or getting rid of this? I'm hoping that every single one of us will wrestle with the questions of whether we are maybe being a little bit too rules oriented with ourselves because of verse 5. So I'm going to have a little bit of introduction for you before we go into Second uh, Peter. But I've been wrestling with this question because um, a lot of people in this church that have been here a while, the Lord has granted for you, and I've noticed it as we've been here. Um, This isn't everybody, I know, but uh, the Lord has granted for most of you a deep desire to want to pursue holiness. I'm very grateful for the Lord to do that in our lives. And so I started asking this question, how do I approach sanctification, the doctrine of sanctification, the doctrine that everyone um, should pursue holiness and everybody that is a Christian will, will achieve holiness for sure. How do, I, how do I approach this to a group, to a church that mostly knows about this doctrine already? Um, this is what I've come up with. So let me give you some, some definitions and then we'll, we'll go in. Some, this is Wayne Grudem. We've been using this book, um, as I said from the beginning. So this, if you've been reading along, this, this definition of sanctification should not surprise you. Um, sanctification <clears throat> is a progressive work of God and man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. So the moment you become saved, God and man work together, and that more and more, as we progress through our life as a Christian, we should see ourselves becoming more and more free from sin, and as we're becoming more and more free from sin, more and more like Christ in our actual life. Now, whether you're experiencing that at this particular moment, and wherever you are in your walk with Christ, um, we can get into those kind of, yeah, but my story is, detailed questions later. But let's just look at the doctrine first. J.I. Packer, um, he says... This concept is not where all sin is totally eradicated or just merely counteracted, but of a divinely wrought character change. So this is not just you um, trying your hardest to make things different. Instead, it's a divinely God wrought character change, freeing us from sinful habits and forming in us Christ-like affections, dispositions, and virtues. Sanctification is an ongoing transformation within a maintained consecration, and it engenders real righteousness within the frame of relational holiness. In other words, you see real changes happening in your life. Real sins are being killed. Those affections that used to desire sinful things are now reoriented and all of a sudden you have new affections and these new affections please Jesus. He's very much pleased that you have affections for holiness and other people and loving your wife and loving your children. Regeneration um, implants new desires, a desire for God, a desire for holiness, a hallowing and glorifying of God's name, a desire to pray 
a desire to be in the word, a desire to worship, a desire to love other people, a desire to serve your church and your city and your neighbors. All those things come to you. You want to please God with your life. Sanctification does all these things. Now, you may be saying, well, I haven't seen some of those things. I've seen some, but not all. Okay, here's the good news. Sanctification is also progressive. It's a process and it's going to last your entire life. So you don't need to beat yourself up right now if you haven't had all those things. Um, However, I'm hoping that today, maybe you'll feel a couple left hooks from he today. I'm just kidding. Um, So God's method of sanctification, I want you to hear this. This is really important. How is it that that's going to happen in my my life? How is it that's going to happen? Is it all up to me? Packer says this. God's method of sanctification is neither activism, which is self-reliant activity. So it's all up to me. It's neither that nor apathy, which is I'm going to be lazy. I don't have to do anything. God's got this God-reliant passivity. Instead, it is God-dependent effort. Bringing the pendulum to the middle. God-dependent effort. God is doing it and you are doing it. And both must happen. Now, God's not ever going to um, let go of his responsibility. He's not ever going to kind of slack off in his, his job. He's always going to be sanctifying you. Therefore, you must also be pursuing sanctification. So what is the way to do sanctification? What is the way to preach to you the most effective way to do it? it, it it's certainly not just sheer willpower and self-discipline. So I wanted to maybe take a different approach to you to try to talk about the primary reason why you should be sanctified. I think most of us say the primary reason why I want to be sanctified is because I don't like sin. It makes me feel bad. It makes me feel guilty. I don't like hurting my wife. I don't like hurting my children. I don't like et cetera, et cetera, horizontal relationships, which really kind of all kind of terminate back on me, me, me. It makes me feel bad. I don't like feeling bad. I like feeling good. Okay. And that's fine. But I want to reorient something about why we should do sanctification. And I think that if we take it to a much larger scale and think much bigger, then it should change, I think, the day-to-day pursuit of sanctification in your life. Because if you're like me, and maybe you're not, but maybe you are, um, you've got really good days of sanctification, and then sometimes you're just like, I just took like a huge vacation on sanctification. Like all of a sudden, seven Days later, seven weeks later, I look up and I'm just saying all that pursuing of Jesus um, to some degree has waned. What just happened? Now, I'm assuming that we have some some kind of um, similarities. And so I I think that all of us should start thinking about why that happens. And I think that if it's all for us, then that's that's when it's going to wane. So I want to change the reason why we do sanctification and and make, make you think of it this way. The primary beneficiary in sanctification is not you. The primary beneficiary in your sanctification is God. If we do things for others, generally it pushes us on to actually continue being steadfast in doing them. The primary beneficiary in your sanctification is not you, it's God. And if we help ourselves, push ourselves to remember the primary beneficiary here is God and his glory, then I think that you will pursue sanctification more and more and more. This is my path to your sanctification, if you will. I'm going to start with final judgment. 
And then from final judgment, I'm going to go to God's glory. And from God's glory, I think that that will bring us to sanctification. So in Romans 14, this is not on the screen, but just listen. In Romans 14, it says, So why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us will give an account to himself to God. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, it says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, I want you to key in on those two ends of, of those two verses. Each one will give an account to himself to God. Everyone must appear before the judgment seat of God. And the point is being that there will be, even for Christians, an account where we stand before God and we have to answer, if you will, for some of the things that we've done. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, you should kind of be thrown for a little bit and saying, wait a second, Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation for those, who's, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why are you saying that? Why, why are you saying I have to stand before God to give an account if there is no condemnation before, before God? We must understand that there is, um, at the end of all of our lives, whether we're Christians or not, still an account that has to be made. Now, at that moment, we'll all say, I plead the blood of Christ. The only way that I am capable of, of knowing you or forgive, for receiving forgiveness for my sin is because of Christ. But we will stand before him one day. That final judgment is going to be happening for us all one day. So I want you to understand your forgiveness this way. What would be the purpose of this final judgment? What would be the purpose of you standing before God when we already know Romans 8.1? This is what I think. The purpose of you standing there before God is so that whenever we're standing there one day, he's going to say all that sin that you are giving an account for, all that sin that you're talking about. I want you to know that I did not just let it go. So if you and I sin against someone, we can go to them and I can say, hey, I've sinned against you. I'm terribly sorry. And what you do is you say, it's okay, I forgive you. And you don't demand recompense. You don't demand some kind of price to be paid back to you. The only thing that you can do is to say, I forgive you. And then whether you do or not is a whole separate question. But you receive, I receive forgiveness from you and then we're good. But that's not how it works from God. You can't just go up to God and say, God, uh, please forgive me. And he just says, okay, and just kind of doesn't demand some kind of ransom, doesn't demand some kind of payment to be made to him. He just, he, he can't do that because he's God. Payment has to be made. Some kind of recompense must be made. And because of that, he gave us his son. He couldn't just willy-nilly say, oh, everything's fine, and take that and just kind of throw it out the window and act like it didn't happen, like when we forgive each other, because he's God. And because of that, he put forward his son and all the payment, all of the ransom then was put on Jesus. And Jesus is the one that paid our price. And so when we stand there before God and we're saying, well, I do see these sins. I do understand that these are the things I have uh, that I've done. I understand all these things. He's going to say, do you see all that? I didn't just let it go. Instead, I put my son forward for it. I paid all of it. And because of that. Everything that I've forgiven you, it's all about my glory. I'm the one that gave my son. It's always been about him and his glory. Therefore, I'm not holding these things against you. Instead, I want you to fall down and be amazed at the forgiveness you've received. And that God's glory would just overwhelm you. And you would want to magnify God's glory because of this forgiveness that you've received. 
And if we let that sanctification or that, that God's glory that we know that we'll see one day fuel us right now, then we will be pushed on, I think, in sanctification today. The final judgment makes us aware of the glory of God that we are not just passed over and sins thrown away, but instead completely forgiven because of Jesus. And we are reminded of that. Instead, we take all of that into, into our minds right now and we think about it and we say, well, then that's going to push me on in my sanctification. God's glory is the reason why I should be sanctified, not just because it makes me feel better, not just because I don't like hurting people. And those are good reasons. I'm not minimizing those. I'm saying if that's your only reason, you're going to take sanctification vacations quite frequently. But if it's for God's glory, and he's the primary beneficiary of your sanctification, then you won't. This is what I mean. Have you ever noticed that when you're living for yourself, you just don't find it satisfying? Tom Brady, he's a quarterback, by the way, for you don't, for those that don't know sports. Um, he's a quarterback, and at one point, uh, he had won three Super Bowls. This was uh, a couple years ago. He had just had a perfect season before the Super Bowl where he lost. Um, <laughs> so anyway, he had a perfect season up until then, and then um, Eli. But anyway, so he, had, he has a pretty wife. He has, a children, he has children. He has everything from what we're looking at. He has everything. And in some interview, they're asking him, worldly, we would see he has everything. And he says, uh, they ask him, wow, you know, it, it's amazing. You have everything. Um, this is, doesn't it feel good to have everything from what it seems like from a worldly perspective? Um, and this is what he said. Um, yeah, but why do I feel like something is missing? Like I'm unfulfilled. What's happened is he just took the entire book of Ecclesiastes and summarized it in that one sentence and realized that every worldly acclaim that ever comes to me is ultimately meaningless besides loving God and serving him. When we live for ourselves, we live for worldly things. In the end, we are not satisfied. And if you apply that same logic to your sanctification, you will stop. But instead, instead of living for yourself and worldly acclaim and how you feel, if you say, I want to do everything for God, everything's for him, then that will drive you on in sanctification. And you will continue on and on. You will not weaken, you will not wane when it comes in the pursuit of sanctification. I know that you will have moments, but I'm saying the overall progress of your life is a almost reckless, a massive pursuit of sanctification in your life. My point is, your sanctification will not happen the best that it can if you only do it for yourself. Because if you're like me, and maybe we are, we're just too lazy. We're just too self-centered. We just like to be able to make excuses for ourselves. So we must strive primarily in our sanctification to be for the glory of God and then secondarily for my own personal holiness, which I'm not minimizing. It's good to have personal holiness, but that can't be the, the primary reason why we do it. So the infinite larger scale is that we kill sin for Christ. So if you are a believer in Jesus, this is maybe the, one of the most important sentences. If you are a believer in Jesus, then your 
saving faith, the regeneration that happened to you and your present status as a Christian being justified, completely forgiven, your saving faith, faith right now will joyfully, joyfully embrace the fight for holiness. Joyfully embrace the fight for holiness and sanctification. It will not seem arduous, though it will be. It will not be something that you don't desire. It will be something that you do desire. So, how does it work? I'm going to, in this particular text, have four remarks regarding sanctification. We're in first, I'm sorry, second Peter starting at verse 1 through verse 11. Um, and we need to learn to live with tensions in the Bible. There are tensions that we cannot explain. And we will see a tension here. Um, there are some places that we can say, this is a mystery. I can't fully explain it. However, there are truths that are here and I'm going to hold to both of them because they're both here and this is God's word. And if I can't fully understand it, I can't fully put it all together. I'm going to have to live with it. And that's going to happen for us today. Look at verse one, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained a faith. So we're talking to Christians here to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus and our Jesus, our Lord. Now, here's verse three. Here comes right side um, beginning of tension side one, if you will. He's talking about sanctification. His divine power, God's power, has granted to us, to Christians, all things. What's that phrase? All things. Everything. Not one thing is lacking. There is not one thing lacking here. He's granted to you all things that pertain to life and, look at this, godliness. God has already, in Christ, granted you everything All things already at faith that pertain to godliness. Your godliness has been given to you fully. God has granted to you all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So here is the first remark regarding sanctification. It should be on the screen. God has fully granted to you your sanctification. It's a done deal. It's not up for debate. It's not up for discussion. It's going to happen. Done. There's no question about it. Let me put some other Bible verses underneath this. Philippians 1.6. Perhaps this is a very common verse for you. It says, and I am sure of this, that he who began to good work in you, talking about your salvation, will bring it. It's not saying will bring it if you work hard. It's saying will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It's, this is not up for discussion. It's an absolute Your salvation, the person that began the good work, will bring it to completion. Even more so, this is this might be one of my favorite verses on sanctification. This is um, 1 Thessalonians 5. It won't be on the screen, but listen to this. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. And then the last words say, he will surely do it. It can't be any more direct than that. Your sanctification, if you're in Christ Jesus, is absolutely going to happen. You can, you can kick and scream all you want. It's not up for discussion. It's not up for debate. If you're in Christ, the end result is you are going to be 
completely holy, completely pure, completely sanctified, completely set apart for Christ, for his glory. It's absolutely going to happen. Whether you pursue it or not, it's going to happen. You're going to be sanctified. Now, that's the, that's the route that some go. And people just say, well, if that's the case, I mean, <laughs> I'll just be an antinomian. That just means against the law. This, this means I don't have to do anything. If that's the case, and I'm forgiven of everything, then laws and rules and whatever doesn't matter. I'll just go and live whatever I want to do. I'll just I'll pursue all my pleasures and desires because rules don't apply to me. Christ killed the law. I can do whatever I want. It's going to happen. I got like three verses already. There's probably more. I, can, I, I mean, I can, I can keep digging. I can get all kinds of you know, rules, uh, verses in my back pocket and throw them out at all you legalists and say, no, no, it's going to happen. Don't worry about it. It's going to happen for sure. It's not up for debate. It's absolutely going to happen. Now, we don't need to forget the rest of this. Because if we just stop there, then we're all going to just be licentious, licentious Christians. Sinful, sinful, sinful Christians. More so than maybe we already are, right? Um, But this is where it gets pretty interesting. By which he has granted to us, he's granted us this absolute sanctification, his precious and very great promises, so that through them, This is astounding. You may become, look at that, partakers of the divine nature. Now, it's not saying that you're going to become God. Calvin says, not in essence, but in quality. You're not going to become the divine. Instead, you're going to become like the divine. You're not going to become God himself. You're going to be holy like he is holy. But that's astounding. I mean, consider All the things you thought over the last week. But verse 4 says that one day you are going to be a partaker of the divine nature. Astounding grace shown to us. Having escaped from the corruption that is in this world because of sinful desire. So we know that in that first section in verse 3 and 4 that we are absolutely going to be sanctified. God has fully granted you your sanctification. Completely, completely, completely. So if if you're wondering... Am I ever going to be sanctified? This life is so hard. I stink so bad at being a Christian. All the things that I want to do, I never do. And all the sins that I just want to run away from, I end up like all the time doing them. It, it, I, I'm struggling here. I'm so upset. Like Paul in Romans 7. Is this ever going to happen? For those of you that are on that side of the fence, let me graciously, graciously point you to verse 3 and say, don't move out of verse 3 for a while. You need to rest in verse 3 in Philippians 1, 6 and 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 4. Don't beat yourself up. Rest in those verses and just be amazed that even though you have those struggles, God is saying yes. But if you're like me, I don't live there. I, I, I love and understand fully that I'm going to be forgiven. I, I need to rest on the other side. I don't know where you are. But based on And here comes the tension. Here comes the amazing tension. I want you to feel it. I want you to learn to live with it. Here it is. If God, well, let's look at verse five. It's definitely going to happen. Look what it says. For this very reason, since it's going to happen, it's absolutely definitely there. God, God's going to make it happen. Not me. I mean, if I rank power with me and God, like God, I'm I'm way down here. If, If I can push my hand into the wood farther, there I am. And God's power, I can't even reach to the skies. That's his power. So if I'm ranking power, God's way up there, and I am brutally, brutally weak. I mean, look at this. 
right? So, and then it's, if it's definitely going to happen, verse 5 says, for this very reason, since God and all his power is going to make it happen. Look at those three words. Make every effort. He's telling you right there, you have to do everything you can to pursue holiness. You have to do everything. So what's the tension here? Has God granted me and given me all I need for godliness? If he has, why do I have to make every effort? Or if I have to make every effort in godliness, then has God really given me everything I need for life and godliness? Yes. And there's the tension. (laughs) That's all I can say. I mean, we have to live with that. So the second thing I want you to see here is when he says make every effort, he's going to do a list. Make every effort then to supplement your faith with. And he has a little list. We're not going to, we're not going to concentrate on the list because there's like a billion lists in the Bible on this stuff. But the second thing I want you to see here is God has granted to you everything when it comes to your salvation. And here's the second side. You must pursue holiness with every degree of strength you have. You must pursue holiness with every degree of strength you have. And it says it right there in verse 5. Make every effort. There is, in the Christian's life, really, no such thing as day off from Jesus. Day off from sanctification. Not going to pursue Christ today. This is not our vocabulary. This is not our vernacular. We don't talk like that. And so if we want to put the, t- the two ideas of number one and number two together, I'm going to give a couple quotes from small little phrases from a couple theologians because I think these are very helpful. D.A. Carson takes those two together and he says that sanctification then is grace-driven effort. God working and me doing it as well. Grace-driven God effort. I have to make every effort. J.I. Packer says it this way. It is um, God-dependent effort. God-dependent effort. He is doing it. However, there is no way that we're going to erase the necessity of you doing it. So let's, let's take a step back. Last week I talked about what salvation was. Regeneration, justification, sanctification, glorification. And I said those kind of big words and I can explain them what they mean. All that All those things together is our salvation. That one day we're regenerated. God opens and the spirit comes and opens our eyes spiritually to who Christ is, what he's done. And all of a sudden we're just amazed that someone would die for us, Christ. And we can't believe it. And as soon as that happens, faith. As soon as that happens, faith. And when that faith is put in Christ, that's regeneration. Then We put our faith in Jesus and then all of a sudden he justifies us. That means he declares us holy. He declares us righteous. When God looks at you, he sees Christ's righteousness. How perfect is Jesus? Perfect beyond measure. And that's what he sees in you. And then after that, from that moment, which is instantaneous till the day you die, we're in sanctification. We're in this process and process of becoming more sanctified, more like Christ. Until one day when we go to heaven, which is when we're glorified, is when this earthly sinful body is made like christ's body and then we'll be glorified and that is salvation regeneration justification and glorification are all the work of god you you don't play any part in those things it happens to you sanctification is where god and man work together to make it happen certainly we would say god is the initiator and the power behind it however Of all of all those sanctification is God and man working together. 
We cannot ever say that all those are the work of God alone. In sanctification, you must make every effort. Every effort. To give you an example. Um, I grew up in Columbia. I grew up going to the Gamecock football games. I went to every home football game from, I don't know, starting in May. Uh, not May, but starting in maybe eighty. Three, four, I don't know, something like that. My parents took me. I went to college there. So till about 1995 or so, 1995, um, I went to every home game for the Gamecocks. I mean, I was all about, I remember still 1984 when Navy beat us and all of a sudden we lost. And anyway, so um, uh, still working through that. So anyway, um, so 95 and all of a sudden I found myself really into football. I mean, really, really, really into football. So I'm in college and I transferred schools and I really know a whole lot about football. And then... Um, I found myself knowing so many details about sports and ERAs and basketball and all these statistics, these meaningless, meaningless statistics. And so I just said, you know what? I know way too much about sports, way too much about sports. And so um, it's not that sports is bad, but for me, where I am right now, I need to take myself away from sports just so that I can focus on Christ. And so um, from about two, uh, 1999, 2000, to about, uh, really, up until I started having children, um, 2008. I mean, I have no idea what happened in the sports world from 2000 to 2008. Really, no concept. All these new players, I'm like, who are these guys? I have no, who the, no idea who they are. The reason why is because when I started thinking about where are my affections, what do I want to pursue, it's Christ. Sports really is not, not in a legalistic sense, but in some ways, vying for my attention, Making my mind think about it. And so I took it and I just threw it away. And I have no idea what happened for eight years in sports. I mean, no clue. All these new players now, I have no idea who they are, where they came from. Um, so I'm back into it now. I have kids and they're all into it. And I like watching them get into it, etc. Um, but just the other day, whenever we were playing, Gamecocks were playing Georgia, uh, they lost. And so we're, we've lost a game. At the end of the day, I was sitting there thinking, I cared way too much about this game. I, I really cared way too much about this loss to Georgia. And I started kind of looking at my heart and I was thinking, I'm going to have to stop watching football again. I mean, I cared way too much. Now, this watching football isn't bad, right? But caring that much is. And so when I start thinking about it, then I start having to make real, real questions. Am I back to where I was where I need to totally remove it out of my life because I will, God? Or can I still watch it right now and not let it affect my heart? Now, that's just a weird little illustration, right? Take whatever sin it is that vies for your affections and really ask yourself, am I willing to totally remove this from my life if it's vying for my affections for Jesus? That's what we're talking about when it comes to make every effort. So when it says here, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, love. That's, that's one little list. There's all kinds of lists all over the Bible. You can find them in uh, Romans 13. You can see one in Galatians 5, Colossians 3, the fruit of the Spirit. There's all kinds of lists. There's another one in Ephesians 4. List, list, list. And it just tells you all these things that you should be having. And the whole point is not the list so much as pursue Christ and if there's anything in your life that you are thinking more about Christ, you're really into, are you willing to do the hard work then of putting that sin to death? Because it would be a sin if, it, if you care more about it than Jesus. John Owen says it this way. John Owen says it this way. He's an old Puritan. Always be killing sin or it will be killing you. 
He says this in this book called Mortification of Sin. Always be killing sin. There's no such thing as a vacation from it. Or it will be killing you. In his book called Mortification of Sin. Mortification, kind of a big word. What does that mean? This is what it means. This is kind of a violent definition. To drain the life out of weakening as a means of killing. I'm going to starve it to death. It's not going to be in my life and it will eventually die because of starvation. It must be violent. Perhaps you're not a violent person. Not everyone is. I'm I'm certainly not. Um, Not giving yourself over to violence is actually a virtue and not a vice. But I want you to think of it this way. Because when we talk about killing sin, it has to be a violent attack towards killing it. Um, So think of it this way. And maybe this will help you, if you're not a violent person, pursue it this way. Um, You have someone very dear to you in your life. Perhaps in the illustration, let's say they are smaller they're weaker um, than you. They're unable to defend themselves. Just, just think about how much you love them. They're smaller than you. They're weaker than you. Think about the affections that you have for them. You, you, you love them more probably than anybody in the world. And someone comes and attacks them. Bringing them immense harm. How do you feel at that moment? What do you want to do Let's say laws don't exist. What do you want to do to that particular person that's harming the person that you love more than anybody? That's defenseless. What do you want to do? And even importantly, not, not really what do you want to do because that's just kind of grotesque. But why? Why do you want to do it? Because you're a violent person? I think there's an, actually a different answer. The opposite is the answer. Because you love the person being attacked more than you could possibly describe. It's not because you're violent, it's because you love them. And you love them so much that when somebody does something to them, something happens to you that you want to take the head off that person. I mean, that's just not that you're violent, but that you love this person. Now, that's exactly what we're talking about when it comes to sanctification. How much do I love Jesus? So that when something attacks me, it's not that I'm a violent person. It's because I have such deep loving affection for Jesus. All I want to do then is violently attack the thing that's trying to rob my affections for Christ. Sin. God is not ever going to be mad at you at violently, violently attacking sin. You, You are free to be as violent as you want when it comes to killing sin in your life. That's virtuous. That's good. So you have to kill sin in this exact same way. Drain the life out of it as to weaken it to death. So back to my little illustration. And I ask you the question, which one is it that's going on? What's robbing your affections day to day for Jesus? Are you willing to remove it from your life completely? Too much TV. Um, TV's not bad. Too much TV, if it's robbing your affections for Jesus, needs to go. Whatever habit is in your life that you cling to, are you willing to mortify it? Drain the life of it out of it as to weaken it. Romans 8.13. Romans 8.13 says this. This is a direct um, command to us who are, who are in Christ. Romans 8.13 regarding killing sin says this. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. You're commanded by God to kill sin. Colossians 3.5, in the same way, says, 
Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Big list. I'm not really into the list. I, I feel like you know what's sinful and what's not. Are you willing to put it to death? Violently drain the life out of it as to weaken it unto death. Anything that's robbing you, your affections. So I know what you're going to say. But you are way too legalistic today. Well, maybe. I'm just preaching the word. I mean, I think this is exactly what he says. I, I don't think make every effort is make every effort if you feel like it or anything else. It's make every effort. Every effort. And now I'm trying to bring us here to the middle. One little side note. This is a side note on that second point. Um, you're not John Rambo. Meaning, you're not supposed to do this out by yourself. You don't live out in the woods. You don't tie the red banner around your thing and grow your hair out and shoot bow and arrows at everybody by yourself. Sanctification, if for all of you who don't know who Rambo is, like that's a reference to the 80s. Um, you, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, probably shouldn't watch it. Um, anyway, my point is, sanctification is not a lone wolf process. You are not to try to pursue this by yourself. Sanctification has always been a corporate process with people you trust, with people that you know, that know you. I'll just give you one verse. There's plenty I could give you. But listen to this. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You've got to have people in your life walking through sanctification with you. Willing to have the hard conversation about, hey, you do this way too much. Are you, are you willing to mortify it? Are you willing to drain the life of it as to weaken it unto death? And then you've got to be able to not get mad at them, but because you know they love you. And this is why it said with people you trust. Because that you know that they love you. Let them walk you through that. So it's not about the list as much as your affection for Christ. Now, these next two are, are pretty astounding. These next two things about sanctification really should amaze us. So we've looked at the list. Um, and then verse 8, for if these qualities, and that's the list right there, virtue, knowledge, self-control, and you could really plug and play any, any list in the Bible on that. But if these qualities, in other words, if, you, if these qualities are, if sanctification is yours, if you're actually pursuing it, Christ is real in your life, you want it to happen, if these qualities are yours and they're increasing, they are actually happening. It's not just like they're mine and I've stayed here in this little plane. Instead, they're increasing. I'm really every day becoming more and more Christ-like. This morning when someone pulled out in front of me, I didn't bump them. I didn't yell at them. I didn't even like, think of bad words in my head. I just said, oh, all right, let them go. Um, if they are increasing, look at this. If sanctification is happening, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. Let me ask two difficult questions. Would you look at your life right now, right now and say that you're being fruitful for Christ? Look at your life right now. The last week. Would you say the last week was really fruitful for Christ? Would you say the last week that you would say I was really effective for God? I know those are tough questions, but listen to the third point here. Sanctification, as it says there in verse 8. Sanctification, third remark. Sanctification causes you to be effective and fruitful in ministry. I'm not in ministry, Fudd. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah you are. 
Um, if you're a Christian, you're in ministry. Just because you don't work for the church doesn't mean you're not in ministry. We're all ministers. 2 Corinthians 5 is pretty clear about that. A minister is not someone that's been ordained that has a little thing on the, on the wall. A minister is someone who is a believer in Jesus. So you're all in ministry, just with me. And if you're pursuing sanctification, then you will be more fruitful. You will be more effective. So you can ask yourself, Back to those two questions. Am I really fruitful? If I look at my life right now, am I really fruitful? Am I really effective? Perhaps that is because you're not pursuing sanctification is the reason why you're not. Now, measure fruitfulness with wisdom. I'm not saying like one day you had this and then 24 hours later you like shot up and everything's fine. It's a process. But what if you don't? What if you don't have these things? What if these things aren't happen? Well, we're going we're gonna to answer that. We're going to answer that. Because Paul, or Peter, I'm sorry, answers that for us. He does answer it for us. Whoever lacks these qualities, he answers it right here in verse 9, by the way. Whoever lacks these qualities, whoever does not have sanctification, is so nearsighted that he is blind. So what's the answer? What is the answer if I don't have these qualities? What can I do if I am not pursuing sanctification? What can I do if I'm not being fruitful in ministry? I'm not being effective for God. What's the answer? He tells us right here. Whoever lacks these qualities or not being sanctified is so nearsighted that he's blind. Here it is. Having forgotten that, there it is. He was cleansed. You are completely cleansed. It's a return to the gospel. There's no trickeration here. There's no like, it, what's this magic spell? There's none of that stuff. God's very, very simple with the gospel. If you're not being effective and fruitful him, return to the cross and realize what's the gospel. I've been cleansed from my sin. Everything has been forgiven. I'm declared completely righteous and pure. Calvin, thinking on all this, says this. And this is kind of wordy. He's Calvin, but he says this. I mean, he didn't write it in English, but it's been translated. He says, the blood of Christ has not become a washing bath to us um, that it may be fouled by our filth. In other words, we, we don't come to Christ and get saved. And now we're, we're completely declared righteous and justified in order that we can just continue sinning. In order that we can be, as he says, um, fouling it with our filth. He therefore calls them old sins in this particular verse which he means that our life ought to be otherwise now formed because we have been cleansed from our sins not that anyone can be pure from every sin while he's in this world calvin's very practical or that we that the cleansing we obtain through christ consists of pardon only but that we ought to differ from the unbelievers as god has separated or sanctified us for himself though then we daily sin and God daily forgives us, and the blood of Christ cleanses us from all of our sins, yet sin ought not to rule in us. But instead, the sanctification of the Spirit ought to prevail in us. So, if you're not effective, if you're not fruitful, if sanctification is not happening, it's just a return to the gospel. Your first love. Return to the cross and remember what Christ has done for you. I mean, just remember when you first believed. Remember whenever the good news of Christ, what Christ has done for you finally melted the heart of stone and you started to understand it. What were your affections like? 
how amazing. They were through the roof. I can't believe this happened. This is, it. This is God's answer. Return then to what Christ has done for you. Return to your justification. And then he says in verse 10, this is where, this is the fourth remark. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. Be all the more diligent. So there's more work involved to know that you're in Christ. For if you practice these qualities, if you pursue sanctification, that's just a list of seven things. There's certainly more things. If you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Well, that's interesting language, right? Because you're thinking, if I don't practice these qualities, then I can fall away. I can, I can literally lose my salvation. It seems like this little thing you have, Fudd, you have a little schematic that you keep talking about. Regeneration. Like, it seems like if regeneration has happened and God awakens my heart and I put my faith and he declares me holy and righteous forever, you're saying that that can actually fall away? That can, that can, that can be gone? No, <laughs> not at all. I don't believe that we can lose our salvation. This is not, in my opinion, and most theologians, biblical. You can never lose your salvation. The wording here is helping us in human words understand that if we don't pursue sanctification, then back to regeneration, that never happened. It was just some weird moment. I think the the, the sermon um, on the mount, the parable of the soils, is the perfect place for you to go and try to figure out what happened right there. You got all excited, the sun came up, and you got scorched because it didn't have deep roots. But that was another sermon I preached a long time ago. So, <clears throat> you will fall away if you don't pursue sanctification because you never were saved. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance. Oh, this is such good news. Richly provided you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So the fourth thing I want you to see here is this. Those that are being sanctified show they are truly saved and will eternally be with Jesus. They show that they are truly saved. You will not fall away because you were regenerated. You are going to pursue sanctification because God has said it's going to happen. You are going to make every effort. You will not do it perfectly, but you are going to never, ever take days off, weeks off, months off, because this is not how we talk as Christians. We violently pursue sanctification, killing every sin we can. And when that happens, you will never fall because it will be absolutely sure that you were in Christ. And when that happens, and this is the best news of it all, there will be richly, not there will be provided, there will be richly provided you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Heaven is certain for those that are being sanctified. Certain. It's for sure. You will be with Jesus forever. The lover of your soul. You will be with him forever. Make no mistake, I'm not promising that sanctification is instant freedom from your sin. It is a process. It takes a while, if not a lifetime, to gain victory over sin. But there is comfort in knowing that even though you haven't gained freedom from this certain sin right now, there is richly provided for you an entrance into the kingdom for sure. You are definitely 
provided an entrance into heaven. So dream with me then. Dream with me about sanctification. Think about this with me. What then will this church look like if we pursued sanctification? What would your life look like if you really pursued sanctification? I mean, really pursued sanctification. Not some kind of tacit agreement with what I've said. And by Tuesday, you've forgotten everything that this verse is saying. These verses are saying. Dream with me big. What if you really killed the sin in your life? You would not put up with anything that was remotely thought of as sinful in your life. You never made excuses that this is just who I am. This is how I, it's my struggle. You never made these excuses. But you really pursued it. Dream with me. What would this church look like? What would this city look like? What would this county and state look like if all Christians then started doing it? You, you have no idea what effects it would rub off into your fellow Christians in your life? What would your family look like? What would your children look like? If you really pursued sanctification. I think that we're good at making excuses. I think that we're good at dreaming these big dreams and saying it's never going to happen to me. Can we stop that? I mean, this is, this is so clear. It's going to happen. You're, you're going to be sanctified if you're in Christ. Why would you not then say, I want to make every effort. I want to make every effort. The primary beneficiary in my sanctification is not me. It's God and his glory. And I'm going after it with everything inside of me. You know, I don't do this very often. I wasn't even planning it. But I want to um, provide a little bit different type of response for you this morning. Perhaps the Holy Spirit's moving this way. We'll see. But if, if the Spirit's speaking to you saying, it's time. Let's see you do something amazing in this church, God. Um, you certainly can stay in your chair, but it's okay to make it public. I, I would just invite you to come forward and do your business up front here with God. Come forward and pray. Maybe you bring your spouse, maybe you don't. Maybe you come by yourself if you're not married. It's no big deal. But let's, let's pursue Christ in sanctification. Let's really, really take these verses seriously in our life. Ben will lead us in a few songs, and whenever you're ready, you can stand and sing. I just invite you to be completely obedient to the leading of the Spirit. Let's pray. God, it's a joy to know you and to be forgiven. I pray for me and all my friends here that if you're calling us towards sanctification, which you are, you're calling us to really pursue it, which you are, that we would stop making excuses. That we would stop settling for just the way things are happening in life. But that, Lord, any sin in our life, we would never put up with it again. We would not let it persist. We would not let it keep going. But God, no matter where we are in our walk with Christ, the sins in our life, the obvious ones or the hidden ones, 
would be laid bare on this altar and fully given over to you and that we would say today's the day where Lord I will never make another excuse I will make every effort until I die we pray this in Jesus name Amen